0: Yes, you're very, very welcome to the beautiful game on UC 98.3 FM you're very very welcome along to the beautiful game here on UCC 98.3 FM we've got an action-packed show for you today Kieran Deneen, you'll be talking about his beloved Chelsea a little bit later on and the legacy that Roman Abramovich uh, leaves because he has announced this week that he's going to sell the club or at least he plans anyway so we'll be getting the latest update on that. We'll be reviewing uh, the latest drama Manchester United as well, Uh, another defeat for them at the weekend in the Manchester Derby and also we'll be talking about uh, the tragic passing of Shane Warren as well, one of the great legends of cricket a little bit later on in the show. But first of all, he's sitting opposite me, today, a little bit closer. Is that to get a little bit closer to me, James, or what? What is that dynamic? No, it's
1: because this was traditionally my seat, but Kieran would often come in a half an hour late, and instead of shuffling around the studio, I I forfeited my traditional seat so that he could make an easy adjustment, an easy transition halfway through the show. But he's since moved on to bigger and better things. He he comes in via Zoom these days, so I can go back to my spiritual home and I can look across the desk and see you face to face instead of being huddled over in the corner in the the jump seat, so to speak. But yeah. Good to be back, Sam. And uh, I may actually point out that it's, it came up on my phone during the week. Two years ago, last week, during last week, was our uh, our debut in the in the radio hot seat, and also there two years ago. This week, I'd say, was when we went home for the first uh, the first lockdown. So, well, I'm sure you have a, a tune lined
0: up at the end of the show to mark that in some shape or form. So, uh, I'm expecting big well, things. You've put me on the hot seat
1: now, but uh, I'll think of something between now and the end of the show. Speaking of hot
0: seats, we've an announcement to make at the end of the show today, don't we? But we'll get to that later f- on. F- full of shots Save the save the best for last, as they say. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a weekend! Like, did you get up to anything, or were you just kind of uh, looking at the weekend sport uh, busy weekend awards, A busy weekend awards, woods. A busy weekend. Ahead as well, yeah. uh, which we'll touch on later, no. uh, maybe as well. But yeah, lots to get into, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. I actually, I didn't, I didn't get too much now, as you might, may or may not know. the uh, The football got back up and running there at, uh, at local level with the start of the, uh, the. Um the football leagues and the hurling leagues at club level in Cork over the weekend so was out out in the field on Friday night playing against uh, St. Vincent's in Intermediate Football got a win there and also on Sunday against Clonacilty in Senior League where we got a win as well so a successful weekend in that department uh, a successful weekend in Arsenal unfortunately we'll get into United not as successful there or they, those are the only kind of bits like hot glimpses of on match of the day last night but I'm sure you'll keep me full abreast of all the events that went on over the weekend as usual
0: yeah I definitely was busy um what was, what was I was even doing myself yeah <coughs> missed, missed uh, some of the action thankfully didn't get to see much of the the United match <laughs> which yeah again look there's, there's probably a ranting coming later on but I suppose the place to start uh, I was covering just uh, just for work at the Cork City women's game so I, I didn't get a chance to re- see the whole of the hurling match at Parky Creek. but there seemed to be a huge crowd at it the, the Black Rock Terrace the first time I've ever seen it open for a league game I think which just shows you the, the rise I think and the excitement that's building about this team. I, I just I don't know about you, but and I hope I'm not jinxing it. I uh, touch wood, but like I don't know, but for me I'm I'm it's the most
1: optimistic I've ever been about a cork curling team. There's a real buzz about them, isn't there? Really, it's really chalk and cheese with the cork footballers and it has been for the last the good part of the last decade. But uh, yeah in front of thirteen thousand supporters on Saturday Night Cork have continued their unbeaten their 100% record as we say, not even unbeaten their 100% records the Allianz Hurling League with a 126 to 23 point win over Galway which was as I think as Kieran Kingston described it a workmanlike performance uh, it really was a case that they kept Galway at arm's length without really sparkling but the old reliable Patrick Horgan chipped in 116 1-4 one from play he's just perennial it's it's like a fine wine he just keeps getting better and um, yeah 13,000 is really is great balls about this team there really is a sense of belief I suppose the win against Limerick and everything it's kind of like it gives that sense of belief maybe Limerick are in, aren't as invincible as they once appeared there not so long ago so there was a real pep and step of core curling supporters and it's great to see you. I don't know that you see some of the, the chat after the game but there was just groups of youngsters it was a mob it was, something, it, was like, yeah. it was like the Patrick Horgan fan club it was brilliant but um, no it's great to see uh, young lads with their hurlies out in the pitch after the game just, just really getting that Crawford for it again and seeing Cork doing well is always always going to feed into that that's what like maybe this isn't will keep it, I'll, I'll give it a brief tangent but like that's one of the great
0: things to think about the JAs that like at half time you can go out into the pitch and poke around like I've seen it now most of the stadiums they, okay maybe not Croke Park but most of the main county stadiums you know you see that it just kind of entices I think it's something small but it, like entices the younger generation you know boys and girls to just you know well look how accessible this is you can go out, watch your county heroes, and then you can go out for a puck around, pretend to be them for 15 minutes, yeah, yeah. get the I ball, put a ball over the bar or something into the black rock end like that's oh, yeah. small
1: things like that. I always feel bad for the goalkeepers as well in hurling they they invariably have their sack of down in their goal with them, and the first place the young lads run after a game is to the goalkeeper to mob them and try and ask them for a hurley or or anything from their their bag of tricks. So yeah, they always seem to get the brunt of it, but yeah, you're right. Um, there always is a good atmosphere around uh, the GA in that respect, especially during the summer. And you have like you've all generations of families nearly out pucking the ball around and having having good fun out in the pitch, and it's uh, it's it just makes it seem more humble and it's not as elitist as maybe some other sports where if you dare put a foot on the on the field of play you'll get tackled by fifteen different overweight stewards in high vis jackets. So um, it's a it's good that the GA haven't quite gone down that venture, and it's it's good that. The, the supporters know when to come off as well and they don't take it too far it's all about respect it's kind of goes both ways in that way
0: yeah exactly but I, I suppose to return to matters on the pitch like there's definitely something different about Cork this year I think there's more of an edge there's an aggression you can see the hurt that they're taking um, that they've taken from last year's all around final and they've kind of transferred it into four really really good performances so far and I just uh, I think you know we found a couple of new players as well I know Joyce he wasn't playing um, on Saturday he was injured but just a couple of other players coming in uh, or really just coming to the fore Mark Coleman is a different player this year the captaincy captaincy, really seems to be suiting him you know he's been a revelation at centre back as well so like
1: yeah I think yeah definitely Mark Coleman has gone to another level which is hard to appreciate given the high level he was currently playing at but yeah he's taken that captaincy onus he's taken it it was well not necessarily I would say taken off Patrick Horgan it was just seen as maybe a passing of the guard onto the next generation maybe free up Patrick Horgan to kind of be a pick and choose his battles and not have to carry the can so much and while he still does carry so much of the onus that Corp, especially up front, it was to pass on that bit more of an onus to some of the younger players coming through to their peak generation and take ownership of it, I think is... Probably the best way to describe it, but uh, yeah, so you had like Shane Barrett really impressing during the league. He got another couple of points, I think four or five points. Robbie O'Flynn did well, and the like, Conor Lehan coming back into the free Camp, you underestimated as well because he's he's just, rejuvenated, yeah, though. I think that year that, off, kind of when you talk about hunger, I think he probably epitomises yeah. that. He spent the year away. A lot of people would have said, Oh, he's retired, you know, he's gone from the inter scene, not a bit of it, straight back in. Good campaign with Middleton last year, and he's straight back into the court panel and and adding so much to it with that depth of experience he has, and but still that hunger because he never got his All Ireland in twenty thirteen or in the in the subsequent years. So he uh, there's so much of those players that have such a po- point to prove. Still, Jermelric and Darph given in the field. Brilliant, yeah. yeah, Um So yeah, you could pick so many. Patrick Collins and goal has been really, really shame good.
0: Seamus Harnady as well and like a new man
1: sh- as well. Seamus Harnity, five points I think again at the weekend. So they're just it's. So looking very rosy at the moment but it is very early in the year you just don't want to be tempting fate with these things and uh, I know like, Cork are just they're desperate for any silverware I think and I think the next game is against, against Wexford away I think on the, the weekend well,
0: But they're both assured aren't they of a place down the semi so yeah. like what do you think like is there going to be there's probably still will definitely be an edge to it especially up in Wexford Park I mean that place is a real cauldron uh, to go and play hurling a tight pitch as well it'll definitely be a unique challenge for Cork but uh, also like do you think they do need it seems to me that they are definitely taking the league very seriously. Obviously, four wins from four. Yeah. They're probably going out to win
1: to win it this year, I think. And yeah. they haven't won a league since 1998 either, so it is overdue. Yeah, I think any silverware is just yearned for by Cork supporters. And um, I think this team could really benefit from it because it would just set a benchmark for them that, look, when we were, when we get our act together, we can win national leagues. The leagues are getting more and more important over the years. Traditionally, the league is viewed as... um. Just the kind of thing on the side just to build for the championship in the summer but it, it's becoming more and more important at inter-county level and um, teams are giving it more and more respect as we can see with cork putting out their strongest panel week in week out throwing in the likes of some of the younger players i would know maybe alan Connolly, but getting good experience with the seasoned veterans and the more experienced players that we have so um yeah it, it, it's looking very good for for cork now and um, yeah, I think a win against Wexford will really underline just the dominant league campaign they've had. It's the two teams with 100% record going against each other, so that'll be interesting. Um, whereas at the other end of the spectrum, then we have Clare and Limerick at the going head-to-head in a pulsating, rip-roaring affair. A preview of the... Um, the Munster Championship clash that's to come in the summer um, I think it's only two months away it's hard yeah. to believe how quickly the year is going by again but uh, yeah they played out a 18 points apiece draw in Cusack Park in Ennis over the weekend so I don't know did you catch any of that or did you see some of the, the highlights of it on the Sunday game last night but um, it seemed to be a very very intense affair and Limerick finally getting off the, finally breaking their duck and uh, Clare hopefully probably will avoid the relegation now as a result of that result as well
0: yeah I caught the highlights of it and um, you know Clare and Limerick it's always a dark I think I made a joke last year that like uh, in the final that there was 31 counties shouting for Limerick and we've Clare probably in our corner probably the only county in Ireland looking for a court to win because that is for them that's their big rivalry to, uh, historically and I think you saw that uh, down in Cusick Park always a great atmosphere down there as well again another cauldron tight pitch and you could Sense that the pressure once Clare got into the game, sl- off to a slow start, or maybe it was just because Limerick made a fast start, going up seven three. Uh, but once he got into the game, um, you know, you could you could sense the the crowd getting behind them, and you know, there's a lot of talk about you know Limerick are they just kind of going through the motions in the league what what are they doing it does seem to me that they're going through a period of heavy training because they did look leggy again uh, at the weekend Well, Tony Kelly back is obviously a massive plus for Clare one of the best or earlier of his generation if not the best and uh, yeah just uh, again a, another very interesting narrative
1: yeah, going into the Munster yeah. Championship Tony Kelly 11 points it's like every team just has their, their marksman and he's just been carrying the can for Clare for the last decade or so as well and he's just he's just so so good so effective um, Limerick then like with the likes of Aaron Galan and these fellas so it's a uh it's definitely one to keep an eye on now going in there's so much there's so much feeding into that next game and as you said ten thousand in Cusack Park with thirteen thousand in Parky Cueve so these people are just they're they're hungry they're mad for hurling and um yeah it's great to see both teams finishing with 14 men it just just shows you how do do
0: Limerick have sorry to call across but do Limerick have a
1: discipline problem then because that's what three
0: right cards in four games
1: yeah I know I, I think they it was alluded to by John Clayley after the game that um it's it's a bit of an issue. Yeah, I think at competitive level, um at competitive intercounty level sometimes the just the the tension can over overcome some players and I think it's definitely something they need to keep an eye on because that could seriously undermine um I do know are a few of them more just kind of mistimed tackles as well and they just happen. Um I don't think they're like if it was pure stupidity, you'd say Limerick have a bit of an issue here, but I think you can you can get over, you know, the the kind of mistimed tackles here and there because you just you feel like, you know, I don't know, are, are, are teams battle hardened enough? Are they playing enough hurling to kind of, you know, they could be doing a lot of fitness work at the moment, you know, just to have that kind of, um, experience on the pitch um sharpness I sharpness, sharpness sharpness that's it exactly sharpness and just um timing tackles and stuff like that but yeah it's definitely something that could undermine if you go down to fourteen men nowadays it's it's pretty much a death sentence especially against some of the other teams like if you went in to forty men against Cork, you'd think that Cork could just pick you apart the way they go through the lines, they'll find the gaps. Um same with Waterford, as well Waterford looking very imperious with their win over Tipperary. So there's no room for complacency in that regard and if if you're giving teams unnecessary advantages it just seems like it could come back to hurt you now um, they they managed to get away because it, it was a 14 on 14 affair at the weekend so maybe the gaps didn't open up as much but um, if it wasn't for David Reedy's equalising in the seventy eight minute then Limerick would be staring there in the barrel of four defeats in a row
0: yeah, it's amazing. Like I don't think it will happen. No, All disrespect, awfully. But if they did lose to awfully. Yeah. They they be gone from Division One, uh, which would be madness. It'd be hilarious in one way. But like I just I can't see it happening. But um, it's just an interesting. You know, it shows
1: you what momentum can do. I think you know at the highest level. So yeah, once you get on a bad run, it's hard to pull yourself out of it because these teams they aren't. If it doesn't take a lot for you, if you're down five percent, it doesn't take a lot for the other team to. You know, to top you over, even though when Limerick are on song they're head and shoulders above the rest, as we saw in Crow Park only what six, seven months ago. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one to see how how they'll bounce back now and how they can correct their form coming into the summer. Sorry, I would to say it? Any other? <coughs> excuse
0: me. Any other? Because things in the league that impressed the weekend. Like, yeah. can Kenny looked to be. Back in
1: a uh, good shape they're kind of timing the run now again coming to championship Kilkenny looking strong I also I alluded to w- Waterford's uh, impressive win over Tipperary Tipperary the way they faded out of the game in the second half um kind of surprised me Shane Bennett again we talk about a marksman scoring 116 I think yeah. all, all told 114 from play and as part of Waterford's 128 it's just imperious imperious display um so Tipperary again are they the same beast that they were a few years ago they're probably. in transition they're though tra- really
0: aren't they like they've lost a lot of players a lot of older players obviously a bottom being one of them um, it, it, during the off uh, season you know and a new manager in trying to blood some of the other under 20 players that probably haven't been blooded the last couple of years under Liam Sheedy so they, it looks like a team in transition anyway
1: yeah yeah, that's one that caught my eye also I think a late result a late win for leash, I think as well 120-119 um, so that was one as well that I I saw on the Sunday game last night but yeah uh, good, good round up but I also actually before we move on there was one in the Football League as well I think that went under the radar Galway having a good mm-hmm. win against Offaly but Offaly giving them a good run for their money like uh, Galway were undefeated toppers. we saw what they did to Cork the week before Cork now heading into three weeks of um, the so-called weaker teams shall we say in the league teams that if they don't get results against they're gonna be relegated. They have down uh mead and offly to come and uh Offaly showing that there won't be any easy turnover, especially up in Board Park in uh, in Tullamore. So yeah, I think uh, Galway came past away uh, four points in Salt Hill at the weekend. So I think it was a late Damien Comer goal only sealed it. So um They're conceding a lot of goals, I mean they concede what, three ten and okay they're scoring a lot, but two, it's two two seventeen the week before yeah. against Cork. So yeah. Well well, they're winning games, I wouldn't Would you be too? I wouldn't see them bridging the gap to the uh, the more Division One teams in the summer. I'd say it would be a tough ask for them.
0: Yeah, especially just going up that level, like playing. You know, if they have to play Mayo again, which I think they, I think they are drawn against them in the in the Connacht Championship in the semis or something. So it's um, it, it kind of does show, I guess, that you do need to be playing in the modern era you do need to nearly be playing division one football maybe the year round it just uh gives you that extra bit of match intensity match sharpness going into championship but yeah awfully looking very very good as well i'm, I'm a lot of their under 20 all-ireland winning side as well so lots to lots to get into there over the next few weeks Cork playing me now at the weekend up in navan so it's going to be a difficult one away from home and much uh, i'm pretty much a must-win game out there uh, Sunday at 2 o'clock so um, again a huge, huge game for Keith Ricken as he looks to try and get his first win as Cork boss in in the league so lots to get into there but um, still to come on the show we've got lots to get into we'll be looking into the latest uh, drama that's happening at Old Trafford or rather at the Etihad Stadium at the weekend as Manchester United uh, suffered another heavy defeat to their uh, city rivals uh, 4-1 so we'll be getting into that a little bit later on but we're uh, we're actually going to stay with the with the soccer, uh, so we'll be going now into uh Roman Abramovich, the legacy he's leaving as he uh, announced that he was going to sell the club uh this past week. What and club was that? Chelsea, yeah, <laughs> you, you
1: left that did I? Yeah. Well,
0: look at uh, Roman Abramovich, he, uh, he speaks just, for himself exactly, he does. But anyway, beloved Chelsea fan and uh, beautiful game contributor, Kieran Dineen, he caught up with me and he gave me his two cents on what's happening there at
2: Chelsea. But more. Um I I don't buy this idea that's being suggested that Putin has suddenly become stark raving Man. Dean, this
0: morning. Uh Kieran, uh thanks very much for uh joining me again. And uh we're here to talk about your beloved Chelsea. Uh it's been a very, very busy week. I mean, certainly on and off the pitch. Uh it's been announced that Roman Abramovich is selling the club. Um who knows, maybe it is something to do with the, the sanctions, which we'll get into uh, later on. But uh, first of all, your initial thoughts to the, uh, the news and um, what's been a, a very, very busy few days for the club.
2: Yeah, I suppose it wasn't totally surprising or shocking in the end, um, Sam, just with the, the way that the... The geopolitics was going. I suppose if you weren't particularly interested in the political side of things and, and hadn't been tuning into what was going on in in the Ukraine and and with Russia, um, or understood the the historical links between Abramovich and and Putin, then it might have been um, more of a more of a surprise to some than others. Um, look. Uh, Abramovich has said that he's doing it with the interests of the club at heart. Um, I suppose it's a difficult one for me because like I've, I've, like many people my age or even up into the age of like 30, 35, like we've kind of grown up under the Abramovich era and we haven't really known anything else. And, um, in that time, you know, (sighs) Abramovich himself, um, has been to the forefront of campaigns against anti-Semitism in the club. I think he's really built up um the women's game in the in the in the Chelsea club as well. Um, notably in the last probably three to five years. He's invested heavily in the academy as well as the first team squad. So um you, you know you you would say that like over the course of the last twenty years he's maybe if he started off um buying buying the uh, the club from Ken Bates in maybe a slightly um political fashion that was to get kind of russian money into london i would say that he's probably fell in love with the club since then um and 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 bleeds blue at this stage so it is it's upsetting you know and um i i think that when decisions are made that are so important and on such a scale as this in, in such a short time period that mistakes are always going to be made and it's it's always going to be a little bit clumsy the way that things are done and I think that's proven to be the case in the last week or so.
0: Yeah, and I suppose just to give people a bit of background, he bought the club in two thousand three. He's won uh, well part of the the club. The club has won. Uh, the, I suppose 16 major trophies uh, five Premier Leagues two Champions Leagues uh, in that time so like since he's coming in and bought the club as, as you said it's really been transformed on the pitch but I suppose stuff off the pitch obviously we we're still kind of looking into the situation these t- potential ties to Vladimir Putin and stuff like are you okay as a fan obviously it's been an unprecedented era of success but are you in other ways conflicted That maybe some of the other potential um issues that may be happening off the pitch, or how do you see it?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, look, the, the first thing is is that Abramovich, you know, supposedly was a was a confidant of um the former Russian president Boris Yeltsin. And um and I believe that he had probably spoken to, to Yeltsin about um recommending Putin as as his successor. Um I'm not Really, a hundred percent sure why that was the case, um, and and I I understand that they would have had a relationship going going through the um, certainly the the two thousands, uh, the early two thousands in particular. Um, however, I I don't really know how that relationship has gone over the course of the last ten years. To be honest, um, Putin has become increasingly uh, angry and frustrated with the famous oligarchs that are being touted in the media all the time now as the kind of, um, it's as if they're the closest thing to hurting Putin, but at the same time, I'm not really sure they are because for that, for a number of years now, Putin has wanted um, to repatriate the oligarchs and to get their money back into Russia. So like I would see that the proposals for sanctions against them is actually working in his favor. And, um, like just to touch on the politics side of things a small bit more, um, I I don't buy this idea that being suggested that Putin has suddenly become stark raving mad and that he's suffering from long COVID. I think it's incredibly ignorant, um, and he would have known that to a degree. What was going to come his way in in terms of uh, sanctions against him, and one of one of them would have been um, uh, that that Europe and that uh, London um, and the EU would have attacked um, the oligarchs, and uh, he was probably happy enough for that to happen because it means that they essentially have not really much elsewhere to go. Um, you know, they might end up in Russia. They might end up going back to, um, China or something like that. And sure China, he'd rather them be in China than be in Europe. Um, but in terms of like the conflicting nature of being a Chelsea supporter, um, it's it's hard to say because, like, while while the money has been coming in, like, it's not like Abramovich has been particularly ever ever present, um in Stamford bridge particularly over the last five or six years when um you know he was he was told outright that he was not going to be given um a visa to the uk because of the relationship um, the disintegrating relationship between um europe between the uk and between russia um as a consequence really of the, the annexation of crimea back in 2014 um you know uh, chelsea had plans to um Change stadium and increase the capacity because as it stands, Stanford Bridge is a a 43, 44,000 seater stadium, which, you know, for the size of the club, it's, it's, it's not, um, it's probably not up to standard and, um, previously. There had been talk about them staying on the in on the Stanford Bridge site where they are at the moment and just going up, like kind of similar to what Anfield have done, um, but that wasn't going to be possible. And they had actually come out with plans um, to move and had a kind of an architectural. Um, uh, interpretation of what the place would look like. And then because of the whole Crimea thing and the, and the lack of, um, lack of a visa, uh, the, those plans were, were essentially pulled. Um, so there, there has been, we'll say, um, a, a bit more of, of distance put between Abramovich and the club. Um, he was never a man to come out and make that many statements and, and still he's actually probably made more statements in the last um 15 months than he had done in the previous five or six years put together. Um it really started with the when 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 Frank Lampard was was removed as as head coach. Um Abramovich came out and made a statement then, which was very unusual. I believe he also made a statement then um in light of the Super League, which again I think he was probably now, I, like some people would think I'm, I'm being too fair on him here, but almost being coaxed into that league. And then when he came out and spoke kind of against it, he, you know, he said he was one of really the first owners of the clubs that had been involved to say, look, we got this wrong kind of thing. Um, so he came out and spoke against that. And then, yeah, and then he's released two statements in the last couple of weeks. Um, so it's, 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 I suppose to, to come to your, your your question, it's, it's hard to feel too associated and to feel guilty, I suppose. Um, because he just hasn't been someone that has tangibly been that existent at the club. Um, you, you'd almost forget that it was his money that was being used to, to buy players. Um, he, he has Marina, um, Gronovskaya, who literally does, um, all the work. She's kind of the Daniel Levy of, of Spurs, I suppose is the best way to put it. Um, together with Petr Check there now and they, they would be much more front and centre of of the club um, so yeah it, it's an interesting development and who knows how long it's actually going to take for the sale of the club to go through as well I mean that's another question
0: yeah, On that so like you know um, was it, everything that you said there like probably hinting that you probably don't think it's it's you know we've heard these rumors that maybe he's trying to sell the club because to try and bring money back into Russia or because you know he's acting as a, a, a maybe as a, a peace broker in the talks between Ukraine and Russia so like do you have any ideas or any theories as to why he's selling the club
2: well i think he's selling the club out of fear that um well, he's recognized that oligarchs are having their assets frozen left, right, and center in Europe. And I don't know, like, who knows what happens um, if if Chelsea was to be, like, if his assets were to be frozen, Chelsea is his asset. So, um, we, we don't really know how that would look. Um, does that mean that literally day-to-day operations can't take place at the club? They're banned from all competitions. And um, you know they can't open the training ground or whatever it may be. You know it's it's a really difficult one, and I, I suppose he's selling because he doesn't want to, it to get to that point. Um, the other thing is, like I mentioned, the anti-Semitism thing a minute ago, and and that's something that he's been leading for the last couple of years um, within the club. And like the the Ukrainian president is is Jewish, and I think some of these and and you know. The, the, the Russians bombed a memorial, a Holocaust memorial. I think all of these things are probably playing on his mind as well. Um and and he wants to um he wants to get out now while he can. Uh, and in terms of the peace brokering things like it's not surprising that he would be involved in that given given his um his connections to the Jewish community, I suppose. Um and then yeah, I, I think that's that's probably fundamentally it. And then I know there's there's other points that in terms of um uh like the whole the whole net proceeds thing about going to Ukraine. Um I don't understand uh what a net proceed is in terms of selling a club. Um does that mean that if if there's actually a net profit at the end of the day from all of the money that he's invested in versus the sale—is that what he's talking about? I I don't understand that statement. needs a, a hell of a lot more clarity. Um, you also don't know, like, the those net proceeds in the end could be used to rebuild. Um, you know, these all these cities that we've become all too familiar with, unfortunately, in the last couple of weeks, whether it be you know Kharkiv or or or, or Kiev. Um, and you know, who know They could be under Russian control. So is he actually going to use money to rebuild Russian controlled cities? You know, because that's, that, that's probably not what people are associating with it at the moment in terms of a good fate mood. Um, uh, so it's, it's really, it's, it's such early days at the moment, Sam. Um, there's, there's a hell of a lot of muddiness in the waters, um, still. And it's going to be like that for some time, I would imagine.
0: Yeah. And then I goes on to maybe the potential new owners. Like, do you have any ideas who might take over the club? I know we've seen Conor McGregor and these people being linked, but I guess in real terms, like, is there any other names kind of floating around at the minute that might have a bit more substance or, you know, as well, as you've mentioned, the Super League there has been this big movement towards, you know, Fans try and take back, uh, back, you know, at least some control of their clubs. Like, could there be a grassroots campaign, like over the next couple of years, and everything that's happened with Super League, with the Abramovich news, and you know the latest kind of um, Saudi Arabian takeover Newcastle, like towards maybe more of a um, a moving towards fan ownership or taking back more control of their football clubs.
2: Um. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I haven't really thought about it that much. Like, if you're selling the club for three billion, like, I'm just trying to do the maths there quickly. I mean, that would take a thousand Chelsea supporters to spend three thousand euro each to meet that valuation. I think that's right. One thousand by three thousand, I think is three billion. Um, or it, it might, it, no, it probably isn't actually. Um, it's probably, a, it's a thousand, a thousand million is one billion. So it would take, uh, a million Chelsea supporters to spend 3,000, yeah, a million Chelsea supporters spend 3,000 billion, 3,000, uh, 3,000 3, euro each to buy the club. Sorry, you, <laughs> people are going to be so confused over that. But I think you get, you get what I'm saying. So in order for the clubs to take it all, the, the fans to take it over, um, Like it's going to take an enormous um, amount of money. Uh, I know a lot of the time they might come in and take a fifty-one percent stake, so you'd be you'd be kind of halving that almost. Um, I don't really know if there's any desire to do that or if it's even feasible in the league. Um, Like the other thing you have to you have to imagine is is that um, like Chelsea fans have become accustomed to being one of the top teams in the world for the last twenty years, and you know do they? First of all, like moving away from Abramovich, that's going to probably affect that because, like, it it, it affects transfers. You know, bottom line, it affects who, recruitment and who comes into the club and who goes out of the club. Um, then in terms of any other buyers that might come in, like, it, it's hard to say because um, billionaires like to try and keep as much out of the media as possible. And I know there was this Swiss uh, Swiss billionaire. Uh, was mentioned recently, but I, I I think that any billionaire who goes to the press and talks about buying a club, um, is probably not going to actually end up being the person to buy it. I think these we probably even haven't even heard of the person who's going to buy Chelsea at this point. Um, they'll they'll just crop up, um, and we'll find out that they're the you know twenty fifth wealthiest person on the planet or something, um, from selling oil or something like that in some um, far off country uh, like uh, my own preference if Elon Musk wants to buy it he he's more than welcome he's more than welcome to come and invest if he wants uh, I build think a
0: we space can, we can, like a be a soccer pitch in space or something
1: maybe
2: yeah uh, Conor McGregor's net worth would need to increase by about 100 for him to be able to um, uh, uh, have any sort of ability to take over the club and even at that rate I, I, the thought of having proper 12 whiskey, anor, uh, uh, banner ads around the stadium is, oh, it's giving me shivers just even thinking about it. Um, so I think I'd actually advise Connor to, to have a stake in, I don't know, St. Pat's or Cork City, preferably actually Christ Almighty come down to us and turn us across, please, Connor. Um, but yeah, I, look, as I said, and I'm happy back to, um, the kind of the muddiness of the waters at the moment, there's still a lot of, a lot of clarification that needs to come out. There's a there's a hell of a lot that needs to happen. Um I mean who's to say that Abramovich still technically won't be the owner in six months or 12 months time. Um, like the club could be sold in two weeks. It could be sold in six months. Um no one no one really knows and, and that's when you're when you're moving an asset that's worth three billion, I mean like you can understand why it would take due process, which is exactly what he said in the statement. You know, it's not it's not going to be raffled off to someone and, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it has to take time for, for such an enormous asset to be, to be shifted from one person to another.
0: Just before we finish up, then I have to ask you about, uh, the match on Saturday. And I know there was a, before the game, like there was, uh, um, you know, uh, an applause for uh, from both sets uh, of teams, you know, in, in solidarity with Ukraine, uh, Chelsea and Burnley. Uh, that is, and the fans started singing um, Roman, Obram- Roman Abramovich's name during that. Like, do you have any thoughts on that? It probably isn't a good look on the fans anyway, or on the club when when you see something like that. Happening, or do you read anything into it?
2: Well, it's obviously not a sensible thing to do. I mean, again, like you know, three o'clock kickoff in Burnley, Chelsea fans getting the train up, probably drinking from nine o'clock in the morning. You know, I say alcohol was was uh, was was probably well flowing at that stage, um, and when you have away fans, are always going to be the most tribal as well. Um, so, and, and given that everything that Abramovich has given to the club, you can imagine that. The co- all those combination of factors would lead to a group of people thinking that it was appropriate to um, chant his name in support of him. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't draw a connection between it was in support of him and against the war uh, and pro the war that's going on in the Ukraine. I, I, I don't see that there's any correlation there. It was just an inappropriate time to do it and um, Chelsea fans were chanting his name. Throughout the game, um, I know Thomas Tuchel, Tuchel came out and said that it was it was inappropriate, as well. Um, but look, I, I, I just think that these things happen in football. Um, I I don't think that um, you know a, a handful of supporters who uh, go to an away game in in Burnley and are full full of drink and are extremely tribal anyway. Um, are, are representative of the um, of the whole fan base um, I mean naturally most people would just give it um, uh, you know the minute, the minute silence that it deserves and you know chant away his name afterwards but um, yeah I just think it's just one of those one off things to be honest Sam. yeah fair
0: enough and uh, so to finish up then last question like what is his legacy then you know he's probably brought in an, um, as I said an unprecedented year of success kind of kickstarted this whole phenomenon of we'll see, these rich billionaire owners with who knows what kind of ties they have uh, behind the scenes, uh, coming in to buy uh, Premier League clubs. It's probably changed the league maybe forever, who knows, in, in that regard. So, like, in your eyes, and I suppose objectively then as well, uh, speaking, like, what is his legacy do you think they leaves on Chelsea and the Premier League?
2: Well, like, he, he, he changed the... I suppose he tr- he changed the winning formula um, as as a, as an owner over a period of time. I mean, his his approach of bringing in the best of the best to win trophies, and if if um, he wasn't he wasn't uh, afraid of of firing the best, or, or in terms of managers, to to bring in other people that were going to lead to other trophies, and and it worked and it worked. You know, um, it's been by by far the most successful. Um, strategy in terms of winning trophies that has probably ever been implemented by an owner. Um, like he changed the 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 dynasty of the club in terms of where. now I think before uh, he he came in, you know, Chelsea were by no means fighting relegation or anything like that, but uh, they were they weren't exactly challenging for titles. And he came in and he he just broke the establishment order apart you know um between man united and and you know like the the invincible arsenal um team as well um and and chelsea have pretty much dominated the next decade in terms of english football whether it be premier league titles or fa cups or uh, representing english clubs on the european stage um but you know i I also think that built into that legacy, which people probably don't recognise unless you're a fan of the club, um, is that he's also invested a hell of a lot of time and money into the women's game as well, and um, I think that's probably uh, personified by by the Chelsea women's team manager Emma Hayes, who we would have seen over the summer working for ITV at the um at the European Championships, um, and she's also. One of these, um, trustees of the club that supposedly was going to be, uh, one of the people in charge of, of taking over from a, in that original statement from Abramovich. Um, you know, and she and the, the rest of the women's, um, side of things at the club have really grown over the last four or five years. And, and that has really stemmed, I believe, from Abramovich wanting to, um, invest time and money in that. And I, I I think that I, I, I would rather see that as being the legacy of the club rather than the one that he's leaving it in at the moment, you know.
0: Karen, very insightful as always. Thanks very much.
1: Yeah, always good to hear from Kieran there. And as you can tell, there's been a change of ownership in the in the boot As uh, I've taken over the lead role from Sam on, a, a power trip. on an interim basis, as we describe it, um, taking over the reins apparently next week. So this is my try run, much like the try run Ralph Ragnick has had at Man United, and we'll we'll keep going with our Premier League review. Following on from Kieran's much, um, much uh, insightful review of, of what of the Abramovich and Chelsea era coming to an end, there lots to lots to discuss in the weeks coming forward, and be interesting to see who takes over from him. But yeah, as I said, Ralph Ragnick, he doesn't seem to be doing the job for you, Sam, anymore. Another 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 disappointing result of the weekend. Do you think it stems? I think that's. 8 wins from 18 for Ralph Ragnick since he's come in and has, has he stopped the bleeding in your opinion
0: well first of all that was a seamless transition <laughs> I have to say really it's a seamless you're in there
1: looking comfortable well, frantically I'm like, I'm, I'm like a kid at Christmas looking at all the screens in front of me
0: but uh, unfortunately yeah, it hasn't been a seamless transition unfortunately for Ralph Ragnick but was there really anything to transition from in the first place it was from one mess to another it seems because uh, it really just hasn't it, it hasn't been good uh, not many we haven't like that's the first team outside of Atletico Madrid that United have really played against in terms of we'll say quality side and once again they, they, they struggled badly they were outfought outplayed and most disappointingly they just gave up once the I yeah. felt the second goal went in never mind the third or the fourth um, the only bright spots for me really were probably Jane Sancho and Anthony Alanga. Um, you know we, we've we heard a lot about Ralph saying look he wants to bring in these young hungry players I mean he needs to bring in about 20 of them you know a bunch yeah. anyway because it's just it wasn't good enough you know it wasn't good enough really simple as that there was no it didn't look like a United team and like to be honest with you like I know yeah okay I might be biased I'm a United fan but even just from talking to other people who are United fans as well like it's the most unlikable bunch of players we've ever had at the football club. <laughs> it just is though. Like what I can actually get over being beaten off the park in some ways, at least if we could see them trying and yeah, actually caring. Yeah. And it, that just doesn't seem to be the case at the minute, uh, Yeah, you know?
1: I, I know it's a view that's certainly echoed, I think, by Roy Keane, I think, every single United game these days and they ever melting. I think people people nearly switch on to see the Roy Keane meltdown that 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 follows and he castigates players because i think they just they make your blood boil but how little how just they throw the toys out of the pram and last 20 minutes i think gary neville labeled yesterday as a disgrace would you go that far
0: yeah i would i would so i'd agree with him um and yeah it it just it was lifeless just so much of this comp it seems like the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes the complaining the whinging the excuses it just all came on to the pitch in one flurry you know um, because they've been kind of hiding papering over the cracks on the pitch a small bit there's been some half decent performances especially in the first half of games but to, uh, yesterday it just all came to the surface really and even the stuff beforehand the, the, the alarm bells were ringing you know with the rumours of Ronaldo refusing to play rightly coming out saying it was a hip flexor injury or something even though Ronaldo's never injured so I'm not really sure if I believe that and um, you don't know at this stage but look Ultimately, the club is it's just broken from the top down. It's like the HSC. It doesn't matter who you bring in. Like It doesn't matter who you bring this in. This change
1: of role has freed you up. You're coming out with I things now that you're like in your full aim and, full aim and roll over there. Get it all off your chest, Sam. Yeah, I agree with you. I have to say, even from the outside perspective, United are a club in disarray, and it's comical to watch them at times and just the absolute free fall that they are under. Arsenal now gone ahead with them after the win at the weekend. Love to see that um, over Watford. Um, and United. Uh, have to play three games more than Arsenal and are a point behind so not looking good there from that perspective we'll see how they get on in the champions league but if they are going to produce similar performances like the one they threw in at the Etihad at the weekend you can't see them progressing much further can you you
0: don't they, they don't deserve to <coughs> and also like
1: although they got a good result in the first leg like, it has to be said that was a fluke like they didn't they <laughs> it's paper. Well. it is up. but
0: like they were completely outplaying the first half and I, I actually listened to some of the the Spanish media after that game and they all felt like that and Gordani robs of a win that they were just they completely deserved a the win they were they completely outplayed in Iceland, and we just Alanga thankfully nicked a goal for us and um, he's been one of the few bright sparks under the the ranking regime but it's not his fault either as we've said a club it just needs a complete we've said so many times but it just it, it needs a complete culture change and overhaul and like to be honest with you we don't deserve to make champions league did these players don't did they really deserve success this season have they earned this no they haven't unfortunately that's the way it is at the minute uh, with the club like you know yeah arsenal are far more are far more likeable team far more likeable project young honest players like Saka Smith-Rodder bird of fresh air to watch and um, also Arteta you know he knows what he's doing <coughs> not to say that right doesn't know what he's doing but he just he has it's a tankless job you know and yeah it's just it's a, it's an absolute mess I don't know like the let's talk to Ten Hag coming in I'd like to see him in there yeah. but I just don't know really what he can do either like if you gave Klopp or Guardiola that squad in the morning they wouldn't do much better I, I genuinely I, I don't think they would you know, it's, mm-hmm. you've got to get the foundations right. It's like building a house, I suppose. You've got to get the foundations right or else it doesn't matter yeah. what, what
1: you have at your disposal, you know? Yeah, so it comes back, I, I don't want to labour the point, but like, would you keep Ralph Ragnick in the job past the summer? Or is he just a, a stopgap and, well, and, yeah, and, and you go look, you go back to, you just, you finish out the season, whatever happens, whatever happens, happens. You push on, you try to get fourth, you try to get a trophy. But is it next, is it the summer, is the case of, right, thanks Ralph, let's start from scratch here
0: well he has that two year contract apparently now and he's is oh, he? where okay. he's going to be in the this consultancy role at the end of this okay. uh, once the the season ends so he'll be in the background maybe as sort of a director of football, football or something who knows and he'll be in charge of bringing the new boss as I said I'd like to see Ten Hag in there he would be my choice but it's really the stuff that's happening upstairs you know that's the most important thing uh, at the minute you know because it's just it's really is poisonous at the, at the minute you know from the bottom up and uh yeah it's just not a good look it's not uh it doesn't really feel like you know that at the minute it's it's just like a corporation yeah, out there
1: i think i heard someone refer to it as a last decade now at this stage it's yeah not it, just, is, it's, it's it not, is yeah so yeah but then by the same token i know it might call you to say it but Man City. They really the pressure was on them at the weekend. Liverpool have really gotten their tails up the last few weeks, but they, they answered the call with gusto.
0: Yeah, listen, well, they're a better team. Like it's as simple as, as mm-hmm. that. You know, they're just they're levels above United at the minute in every department on the pitch, off the pitch. Again, Kevin De Bruyne are very, very impressive. Um, you know, they just they just work so hard or their work ethic even, even though I don't like them or what the the you know, the other stuff that what they stand for, the owners <laughs> or anything. But on the pitch they are likable because they they're a really good, honest bunch of players that go out there and are able to produce the goods every week. It's not just their quality that they have, it's their work ethic, the yeah. they're so well coached. And the same could be said for Liverpool as well. You know, they deserve to be at the top, those two teams. The two best managers, the two best coached teams, and they've got the hardest working uh, bunch of players, you know? So, Mm -hmm. like, and they have, they're so well run, um, as well, top to bottom, you know? You can say what you want about the Man City owners, but they've nailed it in terms of how to run a football club. You know, and United unfortunately don't have that, so uh, it doesn't surprise me really to see those two teams. It'll be those two, I think, for the next few years as well. I, I don't.
1: You don't see that 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 duopoly being broken up.
0: No, and even the the uncertainty with Chelsea, we don't know what's going to happen there either. So, um, for for me, like they're the two best placed sides over the next couple of years anyway. To to continue on and uh, and dominate at least domestically, you know, Arsenal are, are coming, but yeah, I think you need a bit more investment, a bit more maybe. Is we say in politics, the political will needs to be there. <laughs> I think to to get you to that next level. Yeah. But you're, it's very promising for Arsenal too. You know, yeah. I think, yeah, United. It's just short termism, going from year to year, hoping to nick a
1: Champions League spot, and uh, yeah, that's the way it is. Really, at the, yeah, end of the minute. So if I had to, if I had to. Put you up against the make-a-call here now who's taken the, the Premier League home with 12 games to go. I still fancy City. I think they've better
0: strength in depth. They've a better squad. They can cope with the injuries if they come their way. Like we saw even last season with Liverpool, if, they, if a Van Dijk or someone gets injured, they're in big trouble. Although they have added more, especially up front, like to Luis Diaz been excellent. Yeah, he And really obviously has. Diego Jot is fit now as well. That gives them another option. So that would definitely give Liverpool hope, I think. But I just think I'd fancy... City a little bit more they're just relentless Most 9 times out of 10 they win every game so I, I, I would give it to Man City but I think Liverpool and the Champions League in particular have a great chance
1: um, Folks you've heard it there first Well, I don't know, is it the most uh, politically, I don't know, is it the most shocking development to say that the team that's leading the league with 12 games to go is going to win the league? But anyway, don't doubt Sam, as they say. But yeah, moving along and uh, probably just to maybe round things off, we have, on a sadder note, but also we'll we'll revel in the the joys that this man brought, a true icon of the sport. Um, It was sadly reported on, I think it was Saturday morning, that the passing of uh, the great Australian cricketer Shane Warren, now those of you who might not know cricket or might kind of view cricket maybe as a, a game for the upper class or something as a privileged game i think shane warm it's right to say he transcended that it really a cultural figure in australia um kind of just like just was bigger than the sport he transcended the sport that's the word i was looking for he was mr cricket which was strange given he wasn't exactly your um your textbook cricketer but i think that's why he was so loved and adored by people i think people the common theme has been that people just saw him as a human being there was no there was no campaign, there was no trying to trying to pretend he was somebody who he wasn't. He was just Shane Warren and he went out and he bowled leg spin. Um again to those of you who don't know cricket, leg spin, it's one of the more um trickier skills to have in cricket. You can be the batter will because you're bowling at a slower pace, you're looking to try and spin the ball past the bat. The batters invariably take advantage of the slower pace and try and hit you out of the ground on most shots. Um but Shane Warren had uh, his longevity in the sport speaks volumes of how successful he was and Finished up with seven hundred and eight test wickets. Sam, well, did you ever catch James, the great man in o- not? Did you have
0: to look up all that technical stuff? Now, did you just know that, oh, I
1: knew honest? that off the top of my head, <laughs> yeah. and you didn't even let me finish my obituary to a great man. So, yeah, that th- you've no respect over on that side. Since you, since you've gone over, into your,
0: experience is showing. You've is gone
1: it? over to your second part role as Eamon and and you're just you're throwing you're throwing comments that you don't even know. You, next you'll be talking about Rod Little this and Rod Little that over there but yeah I don't know Sam did you come across them much I don't know if you have much interest in cricket but from my own perspective it was sad to see a passing at the only at the age of 52 um much loved broadcaster as well since he's retired just a real Mr Cricket and it was sad to see him go
0: yeah I completely agree with everything you said and um, he made it mainstream you know he made cricket for even in Ireland people know who Shane Warren is because he was just such a big figure Um, you know he made it cool he made cricket cool as you said um, you know we have the stereotypical image of it being kind of a privileged private school kind of posh game I guess and uh, he kind of just completely did away with all that he just made it a cool vibrant exciting sport to watch he brought his own unique personality he said just an authentic laid back Aussie kind of um, realism to it and I guess like sports like cricket I think at times especially since it's gone behind the paywall the international stuff they need these big names these big stars to really keep it relevant and he was definitely one of those maybe you know himself maybe and Brian Lara is probably the other one that comes to mind but yeah definitely uh, a huge loss for the sport huge loss for Australia uh, huge loss for broadcasting as well
1: yeah, yeah it has to be said he was a really brilliant broadcaster but if anyone is at a loose end today I would recommend looking off I don't know if you've seen it sound the spinner it was later called it was a delivery shame Bold in the 1993 Ash. At- series with England and uh, it was followingly labelled the spinner of the century or the ball of the century where he completely bamboozles a man by the name of Michael Gatting who was one of England's great players at the time and probably living up to maybe the posh boy kind of image around cricket but Shane with his bleach blonde hair kind of pudgy to put it nicely uh, absolutely bamboozling with a ball that looked like it defied all logic of physics and gravity to spin back the other way and clip the top of the wicket and Shane's delight was all plain to see no, but no he wasn't surprised at all everyone else in the in the stadium prized jaws dropped while Shane was just completely aware of his quality and it, he just went from strength to strength that was really when he announced himself I think on the international scene but he went from strength to strength he had issues along the way as we said he was a man of the people he had, had bans for taking a list the substances he took money from illegal bookmakers. So sure, he's a good poker
0: player, wasn't he? he as well?
1: Yeah. Following his the end of his cricket career, he was a, a celebrity poker player, big gambler, big um, golfer in his spare time as well. Um, I think he was never too far away from the mail online pages. I think over in Australia um so yeah really really uh, a cultural icon and it's um sad to see him go but um i think sam you've uh you've picked out one or two tunes for us maybe to to say goodbye to shane i think we're oh no i think you were talking about me to pick one out i've actually um i've actually picked out one or two australian tunes but i've been overruled by my second in command i forgot that it's the second in command actually picks the tunes to play us out and sam you've gone for something a bit more i think i think you were maybe at abba-esque maybe last wednesday
0: yeah a bit abba-esque and also i guess what could we. Do to kind of fit the whole mood, you know, especially being the two-year anniversary of our That's show sure. as well. To combine the, you know, a legend of a sport, um, an icon, an icon of cricket, and also our own, cause icons of college radio would that be f- fair to say? Fair. I think it's fair to say anyway. But uh, so we have a thank you for the music and right. I think it's very fitting
1: very good so we might be finishing up a minute or too early but I don't have anything else to say so that's we're going to say thank you thank you to Sam we're going to say thank you to the music and thank you to Shane Warren a, a great innings maybe a cut, a cut short but a great innings nonetheless
3: I'm nothing special to sing it out loud